as the guys are collecting the communion cups, why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Psalm chapter 43, Psalm 43. If you're using one of the blue chair Bibles, it's on page 470. Now, as I mentioned last week, some scholars think that Psalm 42 and 43 are actually just one united psalm. And so, one of the difficulties when you have similar uh, pieces of writing in Scripture right next to each other and when you're preaching through a book is, well, a lot of what I said last week is the same here. So, how do I keep it interesting and keep you all awake? I may tap dance later, just if I'm losing some of you, but I will just trust in the Lord on this. But one of the things that we want to look at as we look at two similar passages two weeks in a row is what are the specific emphases of this passage that's before us? One of the great Bible study questions you can ask just in your own study of, why is this specific text here, and what would we lose if it was missing? Now, one of the things that we're going to look at this week is that this is another lament psalm, and if, just by way of review, we talked about what is a lament, the definition of a lament, and I use uh, Mark Vrogop's definition of this from his book, uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, he says this, lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. But he also highlights four elements of a biblical lament. And I want to use this to sort of jump into our text this morning. Number one is that every biblical lament is addressed to God. When we pray, we don't just shout into the clouds. We pray to God. Secondly, every biblical lament has a complaint, and that's that honest expression of pain that we saw highlighted last week in Psalm 42. Thirdly, is there's a request, a prayer for God to act on behalf of his people. And fourthly, an expression of trust and or praise, and we'll see that again in the refrain that's repeated from last Week, an expression of hope and trust in the Lord. But I want to focus on that third one because they feature prominent in this psalm today, in Psalm 43, and that is a request, a call for God to act. And this is one of the other ways, we talked about this last week, that, that the expressions of pain that are in the lament psalm can almost feel like, is this okay to say to the Lord? And we also see that with some of these requests. This, this idea of calling God boldly to act on our behalf can feel a little uneasy, but they're in God's word. And as I said last week, one of the just most basic applications of these psalms is that you can use these psalms in your own prayer life to honestly express your pain to the Lord, but then also to honestly express the hope in Christ that you have. 
And at the center of Psalm 43, of these requests that I want to highlight this morning, are two broad ones. Let me, let me give them to you now, and we'll see them as they come up in the text. And the first one is vindication. And the second one is leading. And we're going to see these requests as how we are to live in a broken world that is full of pain, but yet we live with hope. So let's hop into the text, Psalm 43, and we're going to see this request for vindication to the Lord found in verses 1 to 2. Follow along as I read. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? I mentioned this briefly, but I think it's good to highlight here that it begins, this psalm begins with an address to God. And underlying all of what is said here is that when we cry out, we cry out to the Lord who hears our prayers. I've, I've used this example before, but it's just one of the best examples. A couple of years ago, there was a protest in that bigger town just down the road from us where people gathered to scream towards the sky. And maybe there's something cathartic in just screaming. But there was something empty because they weren't talking to anybody in prayer. It showed the worthlessness the lack of real depth in their worldview that they thought everything would be better if they just screamed at the clouds. If it weren't hilarious, it would be heartbreaking. Because that is literally the hope that they have, which is really no hope at all. But we pray to a God who hears us. Our prayers are directed to the sovereign God of the universe. And even that small detail gives us hope in the worst of times. But let's look at now the content of his cry to the Lord. Look at the verbs that he uses in that first verse. First, vindicate me, and then defend my cause and then finally, deliver me. Now you can see how these are all related to one another and in some ways are synonyms. And from taking these three together, we see that the main source of his hardship is the oppression or the attacks from sinful people. So in addition to those different verbs, you have the different adjectives to describe these enemies. So you have the ungodly the deceitful, and the unjust. We can understand that we would need defense from or deliverance from those who sin against us, the ungodly. It's easy to see on a, on a basic level that we would need defense from or deliverance from those who would trick us and deceive us. Or crying out when we need defense or deliverance from those who would treat us unjustly or abuse the system of judgment against us. 
Now, when we make these requests before the Lord, we must come with humility that his defense and deliverance might look different than what we imagine. Sometimes God will miraculously deliver and remove us from bad situations or remove the ungodly person from their position of authority or strength. I remember a story a friend told me of a teacher who was treating his family unfairly, and God literally moved that teacher, interestingly, for an entirely different reason than related to that family. But it was abundantly clear that God had stepped in and moved that teacher. But we also need to understand that sometimes God delivers us by sustaining our endurance through the hardship through his grace. And honestly, sometimes we must wait until eternity for God to make all things right and good. Now I want to single out his use of the word vindicate here because I think it's an interesting way to call on the Lord to act, but it's also an important request. Just so we're on the same page, let's make a quick definition of vindicate or vindication. To clear someone of blame or suspicion and to show or prove to be right, reasonable, or justified. So normally in the idea of vindication, there's two ideas. One is to be cleared of guilt, but also, secondly, shown to be right. This can be a specifically tough hardship because it usually involves some level of publicly known events. And the psalmist is crying out to God for vindication because people believe he is guilty or he is the one who is ungodly. His prayer is for God to bring the truth to the light and with that second part of the definition, show that he is the one who is right and godly. Now, this is not always an easy request because there are ungodly ways that we want to be proved right. For example, if you fancy yourself good at trivia, it's not a vindication when you finally use the internet to prove you're right and then gloat over everyone. Not that I've ever done that. But what the psalmist is crying to God for is for God to restore his godly reputation and for the truth to come to the surface for all to see. This is one of the prayers that God gives us in laments. It is a prayer for the truth to be revealed to those who are watching and for vindication for God's people. And many of you have probably felt that specific hardship of where you have done the right thing, but everyone seems to be saying something completely different. And God in this psalm gives you the language of praying for vindication, for his justice to be done in that way. But what comes next in verse 2 is sort of a flipping of the order. Normally, what you have is an expression of pain and then a request. But in this psalm, we began with a request, and now he moves to his expression of pain. Let's look at verse 2. 
For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Now notice the great tension in the beginning of verse 2. He says, you are the God in whom I take refuge. But right after he says that, he says, why have you rejected me? Do you feel the inner turmoil in his soul? That he both at the same time declares that God is his refuge, yet God has rejected him. Sometimes when we are experiencing pain, we feel crazy because we know that God is good and that God is our refuge, yet he feels so far from us. I want you to see in this psalm that those two truths are smacked right together. And you're not crazy. And others have felt that way. And the Bible addresses that. And that you have permission to both exclaim the praises of the Lord as your refuge, at the same time crying out to him in the anguish of feeling rejected by him. This is the beauty of God's word to us. Cry out because he is the God who is your refuge. One of the commentators points out again in this relationship between Psalm 42 and 43 that there's this intensification. In in 42, the psalmist says to God that he has forgotten him. But here, we see that he has been rejected or he feels rejected by the Lord. And because of that rejection, because of that feeling of rejection, Rejection. Verse 2, why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? His life is full of grief and sadness because he is under attack and God is not there. And at the same time, he says that God has rejected him. It is still to God that he cries for deliverance and vindication. When you feel rejected by the Lord, do not run away, but rather cry out to the God who is your refuge, who will deliver you, who will vindicate and defend you. Let's look at the second part of that psalm in verses 3 and 4, and we're going to see a different request that that captions this part of the psalm, and that is this idea of leading. So we're moving from a request of vindication and defense and deliverance to now a call for God to lead us. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God and to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist asked God to send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. 
As one commentator notes, the light of God is the experience of the fullness of his redemption, whereas the truth of God is the expression of his covenantal fidelity. In that sense, God's light is our salvation and God's truth is his faithfulness to us. And what I find helpful is what others have seen as a connection to the wilderness wanderings of Israel, where the people of Israel were led by God and his presence was signified with a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire. Let me read to you one example of talking about this in the Old Testament from Exodus chapter 13. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And every once in a while in the wilderness wanderings of the Old Testament, of the Exodus movement, there are stories of God leading his people. And when the cloud stood still, they stayed still. And when the cloud moved, they moved. And it wasn't always the same. It wasn't, okay, one week on, one week off. But God was always there in the day and in the night, leading his people. And as with so many things in the Old Testament, we get these physical representations of spiritual truths. That just as God led the people of Israel through the cloud and the fire, we are led by his light and his truth. When we feel that God has rejected us, we come back to the word which says, he has never left us and he is always leading us. God is always faithful. He is always there. And he is always leading you. But there's also a more specific application to this leading that we find in these verses. Yes, there's this general idea that God is always with us with his presence. But look where the psalmist wants to go. Look at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. The psalmist wants to be led to your holy hill and your dwelling. This, these are different ways to refer to the temple that was in Jerusalem. And one of the functions of the temple was to physically represent God's presence among his people. And so this idea of being led back to the temple is the idea of being led back into God's presence. Again, as we saw both last week and this week, the psalmist feels alienated from the Lord. He feels distant from the Lord. As we saw last week in Psalm 42 too, when shall I come and appear before the Lord? The psalmist doesn't want to just generally be led. He wants to be led into restoration with his God. 
And when he gets back, and he's so confident that he will get back, he's so confident that the Lord will lead him back, he makes a commitment of worship. Look at verse 4 again. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Because he knows that God will lead him with his redemption and faithfulness, he knows that he will again worship the Lord with joy. Not that he might again worship the Lord, but that he will come back to the place of worship, the altar, and that he will sing praises to the Lord. He'll even grab his guitar, I mean lyre, and join the chorus. John, can we get a liar for next week? Please work on that. That's true. There it is. <laughs> Friends, I know there are those times when the Lord feels distant. Where you feel that God has abandoned and rejected you. And so take that language from this psalm. Use that language in your life. But then also make sure to include this language that I will come again into the presence of the Lord. I will join in the worship of my God. And that leads us to this final expression of hope that connects these two psalms. This repeated refrain that we've now seen This will be the third time we've seen it. This echoing refrain, this memorable refrain. Let's look at that last verse, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, we've seen this before. Again, you think through reading these two chapters, you see it those three times. It also reminds us that one of the gifts of poetry, one of the gifts of songs, is that it's easier to memorize. You know, one of the reasons we we take the time to choose the songs we choose is that's what we want you humming and singing throughout the week. We want to give you good words to sing, and we want, we want them to get stuck in your head. Because you will remember all of those songs before you remember a paragraph of my sermon. And, and let me more specifically challenge you. You can memorize verse 5. I believe in you. Sometimes we, we, we try to learn, well, I'm just not good at memorization. <laughs> no one is. We all have slippery minds. But this was meant to be memorized. To take it with you when you don't have your Bible on you. When you're lying awake in the middle of the night and you just can't sleep. Why are you cast down Oh, my soul, why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Again, as we look structurally, it's important to see that this psalm filled with honest expressions of pain and hardship ends on a note of trust and hope and worship. The chorus each time begins with evaluating our own hearts. The psalmist speaks to his soul. Why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil? And from that honest evaluation of his heart, he pushes himself to hope. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Our God is the God of the universe. Our God is the only living God. And he is the God who brings us salvation who saves us from our sins, who reconciles us to himself through faith in his Son. And when we truly understand that our God is the sovereign God over all things, over all of history, and he is the God who has made a way for us to be saved and have the hope of eternal life, then we always have hope. Even when you are under attack, even when you need vindication, even when you are oppressed by your enemies, if you are reconciled to God through faith, you always have hope. So when you are under attack, when people say false things against you, when you feel like God himself has rejected you, hope in God. couple thoughts to close up this morning. Number one, I invite you to pray for vindication. It's a specific category that's found in this chapter of the Psalms. There's a specific pain and hardship that when you know you have done what is right and godly for people to attack and claim that you are in sin. What I think is important to keep in mind is that we often must rely on the Lord for vindication. Because it is only after God changes someone's heart that often we are vindicated. And along these lines, sometimes our vindication will not happen in this life. But we have hope because we know that one day God will judge all people and make all things right. And God will ultimately vindicate completely his people. Secondly, pray for the Lord to lead you. We need to have hearts that want to be led by the Lord. Now, we'll probably never get our own cloud of smoke or pillar of fire like the people of Israel. But that does not mean we should not pray for God to lead us. But again, specifically here, the leading is not just a general leading of decisions. It is that, but... Again, specifically mentioned here is God leading us back to himself. God restoring us back to him. And maybe that's where some of you are this morning. That you need to pray for God to restore you to himself. You need to pray for renewed communion with God. 
And one of the messages of this psalm is that when you pray that, God will do that. He is faithful and he will bring you back to him. That you will not feel that distance anymore, but you will then be in a place where you can shout the praises of your God. And then finally, three, pray with the solid rock of your hope in the Lord. Again, the great juxtaposition of the lament psalms is that we see the depths of our pain in the words of lament. But we also, at the exact same passage, have the strongest expressions of hope and trust in the Lord. No matter how bad it gets, we have the solid ground of our hope in Christ. We have the hope that he is always with us. We have the hope that through our salvation, we have the hope of eternal life. If you have placed your faith in Jesus, you are never hopeless. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us this morning, that you've spoken to us through Psalm 43. That in this lament psalm, we would find the language to express our pain to you. That we would find the boldness to make requests of you, to cry out to you for deliverance and vindication and leading. And that we would see in this psalm the hope on which we stand, the hope that is unshaken and that is ours through the salvation we have in Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Thanks for watching this video from Hillside Evangelical Free Church. Our hope is that these resources will help you grow as a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. We're located in Greenbank, Washington on Whidbey Island. And if you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to have you join us. You can find out more information at our website at hillside-efc.com.